My friends, good morning. In order to properly understand the gospel today, in order to make use of the test case that Christ gave us through his interaction with the evil one, we must ask the question in each temptation, what is Satan doing? What is his ploy? What is his scheme? What does he have up his sleeves? What trickery is he laying with his mind? In the first temptation, the devil tempts Jesus to use his power to satisfy himself. That is what the evil one is doing. It's what he's getting at. There's nothing wrong with performing miracles on loaves of bread. As a matter of fact, Jesus will do this later on in the gospel. Later on, he will multiply loaves for thousands. Later on, though he will not turn stones to bread, he will turn bread to body to nourish the whole world. You can see that eventually, by following the right path, the desire that Satan is playing with will be satisfied in a good way. Jesus will multiply loaves, not for himself, but for others, and to satisfy the will of his heavenly Father. In this first temptation, Jesus is faithful, and so he finds his desire satisfied. In the second temptation, what is Satan doing? What's he getting at? In this temptation, Christ is tempted to put God to the test. He's tempted to experiment on God, to put him in a corner, to put him on the spot, to try to force his hand by leaping from the parapet, the pinnacle of the temple. He's saying, God, are you there? If you are, you better catch me. And then he tries to manipulate and force God by his action. Later on, Jesus will call on God as he enters into his death. Only this time, he will not be experimenting on God or putting him to the test. Instead, through much suffering in the garden, on the cross, he will call upon God to be with him as once again he follows the will of his heavenly Father. In this second temptation, Jesus is faithful, and because of this, he finds his desire to trust God satisfied. In the third temptation, what is Satan doing? What is he getting at? In this episode, Jesus is tempted to set up a rival good to God in exchange for power. This harkens back all the way to the very first temptation, the thing that 
Eve was tempted to do in the garden, what we heard about in the first reading. When Satan, under the form of a serpent, appeared to Eve in the Garden of Eden, what he tries to do, what he manipulates through his temptation, is not simply the consumption of a fruit. It's not some sort of ruse to try to simply provoke a disobedience. No, Satan is much more cunning than that, much more subtle. Instead, from his very first word, he tries to plant a seed in Eve's mind so that she might think God is not so good, that perhaps there is a greater good than God. Satan says to the woman in the garden, did God really say you can't eat from any of the fruits of the trees in this garden? Did God really say that? No. No, he over-exaggerates God's authority, God's command, in order to make him look like a tyrant. Eve, we might think, responds well. She says, no, 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 no. God didn't say that. God said we could eat of any of the fruits of the trees of the garden. It's only the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not to eat or to touch lest we die. Only what's the problem with that? Did God say they couldn't touch the tree? No. And so you see that already that subtle word of the serpent is working its way into Eve's mind. Already she's thinking of God as more harsh than he is, different than the good that he's presented. Once again, this temptation is presented to human beings. Prostrate yourself to me, the true good, and in exchange you will receive power. Jesus responds faithfully. Be gone, Satan. And later on, Jesus does receive power on a different mountain. As he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, all power on earth and in heaven has been given unto me. Only he did not receive this power by worshiping Satan. He received this power by worshiping God alone. Once again, Jesus was faithful and his desire was satisfied. Now in each of these temptations we've been asking, what is Satan doing? What's he getting at? But there's one much more important question that we have to ask to be able to wrap this all up, to understand it. What is the Spirit doing? What is he getting at? We're told at the very beginning of the Gospel, in a way that's almost counterintuitive, that Jesus finds himself in this desert in the first place, because he was led there by the Spirit. Did you catch that? Let me say it again because I'm worried that you, when I just said it, maybe it sounded just like it did the first time and you were like, huh? No, Jesus was in the desert, tempted by Satan, tempted by the evil one, 
because the Spirit led him there. Why did he do that? What is the Spirit doing? He leads Jesus into the desert because Jesus must be tempted like us in every way. He can't avoid any trial. He can't be saved from any suffering. He's led into the very dry and unhospitable place that exists as a consequence of sin. There he's submitted to the test of Adam, only instead of falling into Adam's failure, he rises to the occasion and comes out on the other side victorious. Where Adam was defeated, Jesus has conquered. And now in this Lent, like any good football fan will understand, or maybe anyone involved with theater and blocking, where the head has gone before, the body must follow. Christ, if you will, leads with the head. Now, since he has gone into the desert, we must follow him there. Only the difference is, instead of following Adam, stumbling into his defeat, now we follow Christ. And this is a foreshadowing of what awaits us. We all of us experience some form of desert because for those who follow Christ, who belong to the body, there is no other way. The desert awaits us all. Some deserts we choose, like penances during Lent. But some deserts choose us, and we don't get much say in the matter. There are deserts of, of difficult prayer, deserts of loneliness, of broken or strained relationships, deserts of physical sickness, of suffering, of emotional or mental anguish, of grief for the loss of loved ones, or for harm done to them. There are deserts of financial strain, deserts of an impending future that we don't know how we're going to manage. There's deserts of sorrow for sin, of false accusation, of misunderstanding, deserts of longing for heaven that pierce our heart so painfully that we might not truly know how we're going to get to the other side. Whatever its specific nature, the desert that comes upon us is allowed by our Father because He wants to heal and purify us and give us victory over our enemy. Remember, we tread the footsteps of Christ. And as we heard in our Stations of the Cross this past Friday, if you were able to join us, through all of those reflections, the voice of Christ spoke to those who were praying with him. And every time he addressed you, he called you his other self.
That means that as he entered and suffered our sufferings, as he died our death in exchange, now we get to live his life. Now we get to share in his victory. The desert then becomes the place of redemption and reconciliation. And that means that though it is inevitable for every Christian disciple, every Christian disciple should hope for the desert because this becomes the place of victory. My friends, we know in our hearts because of the desires we feel that some great thing awaits us at the end of the desert. We will be tempted like Christ. Satan will play on your desires. He will sow subtle seeds, offering you compromises, offering you an easy way out, some opportunity to satisfy yourself, to worship him, to put God to the test. But if you are faithful, as Jesus was faithful, you will find your desire satisfied in a way that you could not have imagined. So this Lent, let us go willingly into our desert, no matter how difficult it may be, knowing that Christ is walking that road with us. Let us do combat against temptation using his strategies, prizing always the will of the Father, trusting in God's goodness, and following where he has gone ahead. If we do, then like Christ who multiplied loaves, who trusted God unto death, and who received all power, honor, and kingship, we can expect to receive the actual object of our desires, from the very hands of our loving God. Trust in this and put the devil to flight this Lent. Amen.